We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the second installment, 2.0, on the topic of please stop talking about black people and white people. I launched into this topic last week. I explained to you why this fixation, this navel-gazing on race and color is destroying our culture and is dividing our country. We'll talk about that more and why it's unbiblical in today's show. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's show. As you know, I ended last week's series of shows with this commentary. Please stop talking about black people and white people. And in that commentary, in that particular episode of the show, I suggested that this ongoing fixation over color is destroying our culture. It's the antithesis, the opposite. Self-evident, though it may be, we seem to ignore it, of what Martin Luther King Jr. suggested. Not only suggested, but blatantly told us that he dreamed of a time when our country would judge people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And that today we're ignoring that and we're judging everything and everyone by the color of their skin and we're putting people into these categories, these racial categories that by definition are divisive, that by definition are the antithesis of unity and that we are creating a divided States of America rather than a united States of America, and that this will not end well. I gave you examples, such as Don Lemon saying, white people don't see black people as human beings. This is not healthy conversation. This divides people into two extreme categories and suggests that everyone who's white does not see anyone who's black as a human being. And that's absurd. That is just asinine. That all-inclusive claim is false on its face. I gave you the extreme example of this woman that was the guest speaker at Yale who said, and I quote, that she fantasizes about killing white people with a bounce in her step. I gave you the example of BET's Mark Lamont Hill, who has suggested that people with lighter skin are psychopathic. I gave you again the example that I've cited in previous shows and episodes of Nick Cannon, comedian Nick Cannon, who said that white people are less than fully human. They are saying this stuff. And the church is buying into this narrative. It's buying into this lie, and it's peddling this Kool-Aid. The example I shared with you from the evangelical church comes from the writing of Joanne Lyon, the former general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, who 
now serves as its ambassador. That's an official title that they gave her. I'm not sure what that means, but that's the title that she has carried since her, her retirement from the general superintendency. And she actually put this out. She put it out on Facebook. Today I mourn and repent of the Tulsa Massacre of 1921. My family has roots in Oklahoma. Now listen to this. Just listen to what she's saying right now. Talk about cultural appropriation. Talk about grabbing hold of the misfortune and the misery and the crisis of someone else and claiming it as your own? My family has roots in Oklahoma. They ran the race to claim land in 1889. I lived there until I was 13 years old. I took the required Oklahoma history and the massacre was totally scrubbed from the books. I repent for distant uncles and aunts, white, her language, who lived in Tulsa during this time. Now, stop and think about everything that is implied in that statement. Number one, just because she has family roots in Oklahoma, she somehow has the right to speak for all of the people that were associated with this tragedy in 1921. Just because her family ran the race, the land run, to claim land in 1889, just because she lived in Oklahoma till she was 13 years of age, and just because she took a required Oklahoma history class that didn't mention this, again, is it possible she missed it, or is it a reality that they didn't teach it? I don't know. But frankly, to repent for other people, aunts and uncles who were white, who lived in Tulsa during this time, what was their sin? What is she repenting of? That they're white? Is she repenting of the fact that they're white? Is she repenting for the color of their skin rather than the content of their character? And what right does she have to repent for you or for me? Where is that biblical that she is going to repent for others? So there's so much wrong with this statement and its appropriation on her part of a situation that frankly isn't hers to appropriate. She's stealing this story from others. She's doing something that I don't see in the Bible in terms of repenting for others. And what is it that they did other than live in Tulsa and be white? Is she not telling us that her aunts and uncles have uh, white hoods hidden up in the basement somewhere? What is the sin that Dr. Lyon is repenting of? I'm going to further this conversation today, and I'm going to use an example of a book that's being promoted by this church, the Wesleyan Church, that Dr. Lyon represents. And I'm going to use that as an example of this divisive rhetoric that's being promoted as curriculum within the evangelical church. And it will not end well. It's not going to accomplish anything positive. It will further divide the body of Christ by suggesting that the hand is superior to the eye and the foot and can say, I have no need of you. That's antithetical to what the Apostle Paul told us about the church. It's also ignoring the fact that Paul said repeatedly to multiple churches, not just one, not just two, not just three, at least four different churches in the first century, he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, 
It can't get much clearer than that, folks, in terms of Paul saying, stop the racially divisive talk. We are all one, one in the body of Christ. And any curriculum, any preaching, any message coming out of the church today that suggests otherwise and emphasizes anything different than that is unbiblical, pure and simple. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break and acknowledge our sponsors. And when I get back, I'll further this conversation with regard to what's being promoted in the evangelical church by focusing on a book titled Be the Bridge that's on the Wesleyan website right now as part of their fall curriculum for their pastors and other leaders. I'm Dr. Everett Piper. This is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, after last week's show on Friday when I ended the week with this particular commentary, I decided to write on it in the Washington Times. And here is the version of this critique that is in writing that I ventured for the Washington Times rather than just what I said orally on the show. Here's just part of it. Sunday morning's repeated homily from our religiously woke and righteous is one of segregation rather than integration. Theirs is a sermon that divides by race and gender and whatever else can balkanize us into competing groups with irreconcilable demands. Rather than warning of brimstone and fire, they pound their pulpits angrily about us against them. The moralizing is shallow, the polity is immature, the piety is selfish, It is the antithesis of Christ's admonition to die to self. It is the opposite of St. Paul's call to set adolescent ways aside and grow up. And then I go on and suggest this. The church of all places, of all places, should understand that our identity isn't found in race or gender. It isn't found in personal grievances or our narcissistic infatuations. I mean, what is so confusing about St. Paul's clear admonition that we are neither Jewish or Greek, male or female, slave or free, barbarian or Scythians? That is what St. Paul said. He said that to the church at Ephesus, the church at Galatia, the church at Colossia, and the church in Corinth as well as Rome. He said it over and over again. Do you think there's a common theme here that Paul was saying, stop the divisive language. Stop fixating on race. Stop talking about division and start talking about unity. Unity in one body, not several bodies, not a black body and not a white body, not a Jewish body and not a Greek body. One body. One body in Christ. This progressive fixation on color, on black and white people, will result in more exclusion rather than inclusion. It will result in more segregation rather than integration. It will result in more anger, more resentment, more hate, more vice, less virtue, and much less love. And churches and pastors and church leaders preaching this nonsense are pumping spiritual carcinogens into our culture. And the cancer is growing more malignant with each passing day. 
do not let these people divide us. Do not let them do it. Remember that strength is found in unity. Remember that a cord of one strand can easily be broken, but a cord of three cannot. Remember that there is only one race, the human race. Remember that we are one nation under God, indivisible. Remember that there's no I in team and that those who think there is always lose. Remember that. Now, that's my commentary in the newspaper on this particular issue. But I want to talk about, for the rest of the show here, what's coming out at the same time I'm saying this, and probably what has me riled up a bit, is the fall book studies. That's their language. The fall book studies from the Wesleyan Church that's being pushed to, by their language, their pastors and their leadership. And it's actually published on their website right now. And one of the books that they're pushing is a book titled Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Be the Bridge, subtitled Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. Now, at first blush, you think, okay, racial reconciliation. Why are you railing against that? Well, I'm not. Nor is anybody else that takes issue with this book or Dr. Lyons' message. If reconciling is synonymous with unity, if reconciling is synonymous with color blindness, if reconciling is a call to be one body in Christ and to preach with boldness and courage and without apology that we are neither Jew nor Greek, black nor white, but one body in Christ, if that's what reconciling means, then so be it. That's biblical. But here's what the book actually says. And I have a couple excerpts here. I mean, you can go buy the book if you want. It might be a good thing for you to do. Read it yourself. But here are some of the passages out of the book from this curriculum that's being pushed by the Wesleyan Church. And not just picking on the Wesleyan Church, but because I have knowledge of this church, this holiness church, this evangelical church, this church of about 400,000 members across the nation, relatively small denomination, but yet, you know, shy of a half million members. I have knowledge of this. I used to be on the general board of this church. I served this church for 17 years as a president of one of its colleges. So I have knowledge, and I'm not trying to beat up on this particular denomination any more than any others. I mean, frankly, you put whatever you want in the blank in terms of denominational affiliation, and you're probably going to find some of the same stuff being discussed and being pushed. It's pervasive. It's pervasive. And if you don't think it is, then you're either living in a cave or you're delusional. Okay, back to what this book actually says. Here are some quotes from the book, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. And I want you to listen to them and I want you to ask yourself, how in the world a holiness church, an abolitionist church, a church that was founded in the mid-1860s, 
for human dignity. I've said before that Orange Scott and Luther Lee separated from the Episcopal Methodist Church because of the Civil War, because of the March for Freedom, because of abolition. They were abolitionists. So why are you repenting for distant aunts and uncles just because they're white, who lived in Oklahoma during the time of an atrocity, of the Tulsa race riots? Why are you repenting for them when your church heritage is abolitionist? I don't understand what it is that you think is wrong about that. Is it because... They were white-skinned that makes them wrong and evil and sinful. And if that's what you're claiming, then shame on you. That is unbiblical. And if you were making the same claim because they have darker skin, you're a racist. Stop it. Either way, your comments are racially loaded and divisive and unbiblical. All right, so I want you to listen to these quotes. And I want you to ask yourself how this church ever got to the point of cutting up the body of Christ in such a divisive way. What part of we are neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, do they not understand? And again, I'm going to say it, this fixation on race and color is not biblical. Here are some excerpts from this book, people. And I quote, As I learned more and more about the injustices wrought against my ancestors, I began to realize that we deserved justice. This realization awakened within me indignation. And when I moved to join the staff of an almost entirely white church with an almost entirely white staff, the holy discontent reached a boiling point. We had different worldviews, experiences, and perspectives. I'd come to learn the ways of the white church in America had perpetuated slavery, segregation, and racism. My white friends didn't understand the heritage of racism baked into their own social and cultural structures, including their church. Close quote. Again, the Wesleyan church is an abolitionist church. How is it that that church has racism and segregation and the perpetuation of slavery baked into its structures? What an insult to Luther Lee and Orange Scott. What an insult to B.T. Roberts, the founder of the Free Methodist Church, an abolitionist church. This is not true. This is a false narrative. It's historically inaccurate, and it dishonors the sacrifices that were made within our very church to fight for the dignity of every human being. It dishonors the legacy of William Wilberforce, who fought to abolish the British slave trade. And it completely ignores that John Wesley himself stood behind William Wilberforce and told him in writing to carry on and fight the good fight. Wilberforce carried that letter with him to his dying days. Here's another quote from the book. A racial disconnect and a surprising level of ignorance were deeply rooted in the way they did church. Who's they? People that don't look like her. They were slow to acknowledge, let alone lament, the continuing racism in our country. They equated working hard with success. Did you hear that? What an insult to the success 
that people enjoy because they did work hard. What an insult to people like Thomas Sowell. What an insult to people like Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. What an insult to people like Walter Williams. What an insult to people like Larry Elder and Candace Owens. What an insult to people like you or me who've pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, worked hard, and achieved something different than what our family tradition may have had in store for us. She is suggesting, she's not just suggesting, she's saying that the only reason you've enjoyed success is because of the color of your skin. Clarence Thomas, the fact that you're a Supreme Court justice, it's not because you worked hard. It's because of the rules set by white society. More from her. If you're white, if you come from the majority white culture, you'll need to bend low in a posture of humility. You may need to talk less and listen more. Open your heart to the voices of your non-white brothers and sisters. Listen again, people. Does that sound like the Apostle Paul? I'm going to replace some of the language here with the same sentence structure. If you're a Gentile, if you come from the majority Roman culture, you will need to bend low in a posture of humility. You may need to talk less and listen more. You need to open your heart to the voices of your Jewish brothers and sisters. Close quote. Is that what Paul said? No. He said the opposite. He said, stop it. Stop talking about Jews. Stop talking about Romans. Stop it. She goes on and uses language about systems of racism that have been perpetuated by people with a certain color of skin. And then she says this, we must become color brave, color caring, color honoring, and not color blind. Let that sink in. We must become color brave, color caring, color honoring, and not color blind. Again, I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see anything in the Bible that says we must become fixated on our color, on our race. We must become fixated on the fact that we're Jewish, that we're Corinthians, that we're Ephesians, that we're Galatians. We must become fixated on the fact that we are Colossians. Oh, we're going to become fixated on the fact that we're Jews because we're better than all of those inferior groups that look different and come from different systems. Now, that's not what the Bible says, people. It says the exact opposite. And again, I say it. The church of all places should understand that we are one in Christ. 
that the hand cannot say to the eye or the foot, I have no need of you. That the body is unified into a functioning whole where certain appendages do not claim superiority over other appendages or other organs of the body. That Galatians 3.28, that you're baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ and that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one, one, one more time, one in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12.13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, neither Jews nor Greeks, slave nor free, and that we are all given to what? One spirit to drink. And to the church of Rome, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believes, Jews and Greeks. And Colossians 3.11, I have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And here there is no Greek, no Jew, or barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. That's the Bible. And if the church can't get that right, we are in trouble. 1 Corinthians 12, the unity in the body says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. One body. Not a black body, not a white body. One body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to be from one body. Again, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we are all given to one Spirit. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but it's made up of many. But they are unified together. You don't separate them. You don't fixate on the function of the hand or the foot or the eye. The body functions seamlessly because it is unified. Paul says this, The foot cannot say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Stop it. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. And the rebellion here, people, is this. We are people. We are not black or white. We are people. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.